Welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Gavin. Excellent. How are you, good sir? I am doing well. How are you? I'm doing okay. Let's just say this is the second time we've tried to start this episode. We were having some technical difficulties. Uh, We're here. We're recording on a Sunday, which we don't normally do. But even with our uh, Saturday schedules, we're almost always able to find a time. But we both just had a ton of stuff going on yesterday. And I had work, which I don't normally have. And then uh, I had to run certain errands that had to be done yesterday. And then so here we are. We're recording on a Sunday. Uh, Gavin's recording. Recording at home, uh, so thanks for uh, being able to do that for uh, our many listeners. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you know I, we make we make the sacrifices for our listeners, which are growing every day. You, you know what? Actually, so for example, a kind of more I don't know a Chuck Norris episode. Let, let's just say that within the less than a week since it's dropped, we're. We're increasing every week, percentage-wise, like by how many listens it gets and stuff. So once again, we appreciate all of our listeners, all of our new listeners. Thank you. Uh, Remember, spread the word about the new Instagram page. Spread the word about the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and share with your friends. And on that note, let's uh, get to talking. Let's get to chatting. So you've been busy recently. I've been busy. You've been busy with work. I've been trying to get everything ready for uh, Comic-Con in a couple weeks. So... uh, You know, Herman and myself, uh, Herman of the Union Designs, we've been getting all that stuff ready. So we're going to have a great booth. We're going to be selling some cool T-shirts, mostly just hanging out. It's our first time doing something like this. But please, everyone that's going to be there, come by and say hello. Let us know you listen. Tell us about your favorite episode. Or if you just want us to stop, you can say that and just be like, hey, I don't like your podcast. Go away. But we're not going to go away because we're here to stay. That's exactly right. So, what day? What day is the convention? What days? This is uh, this is a good question. So, the LA Comic Con is December second, third, and fourth. That's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, smooth martial arts. Uh, this is this is the late night episode. Yeah, the late night. Join us yes. as we discuss movies and martial arts. Oh, yeah. In one place. Anywho, uh, any fun, exciting martial arts news on your end? Uh, well, y- you know, it's always fun and exciting to have uh, the aforementioned Herman Balthazar, as well as Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham, come to our campus, the Colburn School, mm-hmm. and work with our dancers, uh, the pre-professional uh, dancers yesterday, uh, which was one of the reasons why we couldn't record yesterday. I was uh, uh, working with uh, Sensei Petey and Sensei Herman. Uh, and the dancers. So we had a great time. Uh, turns out some of our dancers, as I had mentioned in a text to you, are listening to the show. Excellent. And they uh, they quoted the show back to me a little bit. So we'll see if they quote this episode back. Yes. And apparently they quoted me uh, bullying you, which was. Yes. Uh, I, I, you know what? And that puts me in check because I'm, I'm a big old bully. I just say, that's right. I just pick on people all the time. That's all the time. <laughs> it's the it's the Bushido way. It's the Bushido way. That's the Cobra Kai Bushido way. Yes, he puts the BU in Bushido. Oh, but then he adds in the LL. Yeah. Y. <laughs> okay. So yeah, martial arts movie news. I I can't really think of. Uh, Anything in particular, martial arts wise? Uh, I want to give I mean, a we- shout out to one of my. Uh, former training partners, uh, DC, 
Thriller Chapman. Yeah, he just, uh, I believe this was his like retirement fight for MMA. And oh, wow. he finished the guy, uh, beautiful KO. Uh, I saw the clip. Excellent, excellent performance. I'm pretty sure it's his last fight. So shout out to DC. Congratulations, oh, my brother. Congratulations. Yeah. You met DC before. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah, plenty of times. Super nice guy, fantastic martial artist, amazing professional MMA fighter, boxer, uh, just all around cool dude. So if you're listening, Congrats, my man. Uh, otherwise, other martial arts news. I think there's some sad news today oh, with the passing of definitely. the original Green Ranger. That's right. So. Jason David Frank. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. I was, I was yeah. pausing for you. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. Yes. No, we all woke up to that news this morning, uh, which is very, very sad. Uh, so yes, the original Green Ranger slash White Ranger from the original uh, Power Ranger series has uh, unfortunately passed away. It hasn't been confirmed yet. Uh, I mean, there is some speculation as to how, but that's not really what matters. What matters yeah. is uh, the amount of love and support that's been coming out for him. Uh, apparently, he's beloved by everybody he worked with. And not only that, uh, I mean, he was a real-life martial artist, which people forget about. He... He started martial arts at the age of four, and um, he had multiple like belt rankings in a lot of different martial arts mm-hmm. styles. I think his main one was Shotokan, which he was like an eighth don in by uh, the time of his unfortunate passing. He had black belts in Wataru, uh, Taekwondo. He had like a purple belt in Jiu-Jitsu. And I mean, so much so that, and probably because he probably faced that adversity in his career, a lot of people like calling him out like, oh, you're just a fake. But I mean, in the like mid 2000s he actually started fighting in MMA so he had four amateur fights he won he had one professional he won unfortunately a bicep uh, injury kind of put him on the sidelines he was never able to get back into it but I mean he was a legit martial artist apparently a really great guy uh and it's just it's sad anytime you see someone pass away that young he had just finished filming a new kind of what looks like Power Rangers inspired mm-hmm. movie had a lot of big stunt people in it I think Mark Dacascos is even in it uh so yeah I mean it's it's sad may he rest in peace and uh our condolences to his family uh, absolutely uh, uh perfectly said I mean <clears throat> we, you and I have uh taken time to talk about martial law the tv show we've taken time to talk about walker texas ranger we even mentioned kung fu and other tv shows along the way but one thing that that we actually haven't touched on all that much is power rangers and the impact it's had on the martial arts community and and normalizing and not just normalizing and bringing it into the homes uh that sort of made the outreach of, say, Kick Drugs Out of America that was kind of tied to Walker, Texas Ranger oh, yeah. or, or other other uh, films made it actually uh, relatable and and uh, a viable option. So there's a lot to be said for what the Power Rangers did. Oh, 100%. Uh, I mean, for it's, martial arts in America. Oh, you nailed it because it's literally the reason I got into martial arts. Now, before Power Rangers came out, I was already obsessed with Ninja Turtles, obviously. I've mentioned before, I had already seen Sidekicks with Chuck Norris was huge for me, as was Surf Ninjas. So I had this extreme interest in martial arts. Uh, But, you know, nothing. I'm only in first grade, like around this time. And then Power Rangers comes out when I'm in second grade, I remember, and it's just huge. Takes the entire country by storm. So much so that suddenly it's like, oh, all these martial arts schools start promoting it, you know, because Mm -hmm. like in the show, they were all doing like karate and stuff at a school. If I'm not mistaken, like the school was inside of like a diner type thing also where they all hung out. Uh, But anywho, so the local like Taekwondo school, you know, in my town capitalized on that. Like every kid in my school signed up for that like trial three month membership. Uh, And because they were all doing it, because I wasn't, I mean, I'm 
at this point only in second grade, but I wasn't really good at sports and I, I was in a very sports centric town. And, you know, my mom's sort of like, well, I guess I'll sign up uh, you guys from martial arts too. Cause I remember when I started, I saw like so many kids from my school, like my neighbors, like kids mm-hmm. I knew and also kids I didn't know as well. I was like, Oh, what's up? Like, and then I jokingly after that, like those through that three month trial period, all of them left, but we were already yeah. there. My mom's like, yep, nope, you're sticking with it. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's literally the reason I started the martial arts at such a young age was because it had re kind of repopularized, like, studying martial arts and karate Absolutely. and stuff like that. And for the, for people that weren't around, it was a huge cultural phenomenon that I remember that Christmas, everybody wanted the power Rangers action figures. They were unique because they weren't like smaller size figurines. They were They're more really like, good. they were large. They were more like uh, the, the large size GI Joe's, but not quite as big, but they were plastic and they had like more like the moving parts of a smaller action figure, but yeah. bigger. And they were like, and it was impossible to get them. It was impossible. I mean, you had to go to Toys R Us and wait in line for like a day before it was like old school Black Friday status. So long story short, I definitely did not get one for Christmas because <laughs> my parents were not going to go do that. But I remember the kids that did get it, it was such a big deal. Like you got a Power Rangers action figure. What? Exactly. Yeah. And it just, it just, it, it, it made, uh, as you said, like made martial arts sort of a household, uh, a household name for multiple generations. I mean, you, you have, you have the Power Rangers, you had Walker, Texas Ranger, martial law, all the other shows. And then the films that were coming out as, that were out at that time as well. Just, it, it, it plays a pivotal role in our, in our, in the development of martial arts in America in the 90s and beyond. Most definitely for martial arts in America. But today we're actually going to be talking about martial arts in a whole different country. So before we get into our episode, do you have some quotes for me today, my friend? I do. The first one, the first one is off the top of my head. Okay. I'm going to try to get it in the right order. I'm going to open up with the line that a, that a henchman says to our protagonist. And then I'm going to try to do the monologue of the protagonist and hopefully you get it before I jumble it up too much. You this got is it. the easy one. This is the easy one. Okay. You're dead. You're dead. Do all of you guys get together and come up with this? Because the fact is, I'm not dead. I'm still alive. And when all of you get together and kill me, then I'll be dead. That's our movie today, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to stop doing that. That's, that's right. a little too easy. But yes, that is definitely the film we're going to be talking about today, uh, which uh, we will get to here in a second. So I'm not even going to say the title of the movie. Give me the yeah. hard one. OK, the hard one. Here we go. Nothing very, very good. Nothing very, very bad lasts long. That is karma. It comes back later in the film being quoted back to the person who said it. Nothing very, very good, nothing very, very bad lasts long. Lady Dragon? There you go. Very yes. good. I don't know why that stuck in my brain, because as I said, it's been years since I've seen that, but for some reason, that stuck in my brain. So that would be Lady Dragon with Cynthia Rothrock and the great Richard Norton. There you so, go. two great quotes to lead into our film we are talking about today. So today, we are talking about the 1995 uh I'd imagine international production, but really Australian martial arts film. The Matthew George directed Under the Gun, a.k.a. Iron Fist, starring Mr. Richard Norton and featuring the likes of Kathy Long, Robert Bruce, uh, 
some genre favorites like Ron Vrieken, who we've talked about many a time. Uh, we have some other fantastic martial artists in there that we'll get to. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this was your idea to do this film. I think it's fantastic. We had mentioned maybe doing a, a specific like country uh, like, okay, so we've done Japanese cinema. And then we thought, well, let's do a new one we haven't done. And I wasn't thinking Australia. And you said, how about Australia? How about Under the Gun? And we've talked about doing this movie forever. And we yeah. want to do it justice. Uh, but really, I think it's if you overthink something, it may never come to fruition. Because we thought, mm-hmm. oh, you know, technically we have Richard Norton's contact. Maybe we can get him on here. He's kind mm-hmm. of uh, a casual friend of ours. And I've had the privilege of studying with Kathy Long uh you know, while in my tenure in LA and uh, she's very near and dear to me, I thought, oh, maybe I can get her on. Mm-hmm. But really, I think we're doing it now. Now is the time. Let's talk sense. about this picture. So for you, when was the first time you saw Under the Gun? So Under the Gun uh, took some time to get my hands on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it was made in 95, but I don't feel as though I saw it closer until the late 90s myself. Lucky it you. was on. It was like on HBO. Oh, uh, I saw the last probably probably last twenty minutes of the film from the sequence where he fights the accountant through the gunfight, and I was like, I need to get my hands on this film. It wasn't uh, on repeat anywhere on HBO, so uh, I looked around for it and I found it at a Tower Records, nice in Long Beach. Uh, bought a copy because it wasn't for rent. And watched it. So that had to be late 90s uh, before I worked on, you know, the show that I worked on. And VHS then I got, or DVD? Uh, VHS. Okay. And then I had the opportunity to see it the second, uh, see it later, probably around 2001, 2002. I went to uh, sort of like a convention, a meet and greet with Richard Norton. It was a couple of days uh, long. They reached out to everyone who was attending. What two films do you want to see? And I was like... I would love to see Under Under the Gun and then Sword of Bushido. And it just so happened those were the two films they were showing. And so I got to watch it, uh, watch both those films. And he was giving kind of live commentary to the to the people as we were watching it in a, in a proper screening room. And uh, so, yeah, that's my story with this film. And I, I would say it's kind of apropos that we're doing it this week because, you know, I was thinking like, this is one of those films that I'm uh, thankful for. Wow. You know, that's and that's a great story and that you have such a connection to it. So for me, I remember first reading about this movie when I first got into Richard Norton, like late 90s. So I remember reading about on the early days of the Internet on IMDb. And I think I told you this story. I remember seeing the cover art thinking it looked badass. I'd already seen Richard Norton in, you know, Mr. Nice Guy. Uh, it may have been even before I had really seen any of his other work. And I was just already wow. a fan of his. Yeah. Wow. I, but just reading about it. So yeah. now to clarify, I read some dumb dumbs review on IMDb of it where he says, oh, not really a martial arts film, mostly a shoot 'em up. And oh, so, that's- well, so I just thought for years. And so you have to keep in mind at that age, the only way where I would have maybe been able to get a copy is mm-hmm. ordering it online. Because yes. where I grew up in the Central Valley, California, we didn't have, I mean, we had video rental places, as I've mentioned, like Blockbuster and Hollywood Video. But if it wasn't there, I didn't really have a way to buy stuff, especially yeah. at that age. I was like 12 years old and my parents weren't going to be buying stuff for me, like, uh, you know, that I had to order and stuff like that. So pretty much I read this person's review said, oh, well, I guess maybe I can ask for other movies for Christmas or something. Maybe this one isn't worth it. And I kind of had this mindset in my head for years. So I remember moving back from China. I 
signed, it's 2016. I never had Amazon Prime before because I had been gone since I think it came out, you know, mm-hmm. and like, you know, I left America in 2010. So with Amazon Prime, I'm like, oh, I get Prime Video. What's on here? And at that time, they had a ton of martial arts stuff on there. They've yes. kind of re-added more as i said they did the great purge where like a ton of stuff Mm -hmm. got taken off they've re-added some like as part of other apps on there with commercials which is fine but i remember under the gun was a movie that was on there so i finally give it a watch and i remember being blown away and first of all like what the hell this is not a shoot 'em up it's all martial arts action the whole movie until the finale so i didn't get to see this film till 2016 and after i watched it I was like, I had already seen how certain movies would just disappear from Prime, mm-hmm. you know, and you might think, oh, well, you could rent it. No, sometimes, sometimes they get taken off. So it's no longer free and you can either rent or buy. Sometimes they just disappear. So I was yep. like, you know what? No, I need to buy this movie in case it ever completely disappears. And that way I always have a copy of it. So I bought it. So I have it on my Prime account and it could easily go on one of my Kung Fu comfort movie lists. Yes. And it, uh, I think maybe the only reason I haven't put it on any of those lists is because we wanted to do a whole episode on it because this is one of those movies I can go back to again and again because not only because of the stellar action, uh, but it is a fantastic movie. Uh, The story, the setting, everything. This is like the best of the best when it comes to a straight to video uh, action film. I'm really happy to hear you say that because this is one of those films that I feel like a lot of. I feel like a, a considerable amount of our listeners may not have seen right. because just like you or I, we we were like it took us years before we could get our hands on it, and it might not seem like it might not like seem like one of those films that is a must see. But I would say it is an absolute must see. It is so well done. It's not. It's not. I feel like it's not just a gold a gold standard. It's almost a platinum standard of straight to video. Now the it, it is it feels like it's shot on beta or video yes. rather than film. So that is there, one deterring factor for sure. Yeah. Uh, so I could I could see people at first glance seeing it, saying, "Oh, it, it doesn't look as good." But the script, yes. the lines, the execution, the editing it it comes across. If this film were made. A couple of years earlier, it would have been shot on film. If this film were made five years later, it would have been a streaming, you know, early streaming services. If it were made today, it would be massive streaming service on, you know, big release on Netflix, I believe. If it were made in the 1950s or 40s, it would have been a great B movie that people would have gone to see. It is timeless in so many ways. It It is also not just timeless. It, uh, it, uh, I'm trying to think of the phrase, but it it is uh, it sets it sets the standard. Agreed. And bold statement. Definitely. This was the role that Richard Norton was born to play his best role acting wise. Mm -hmm. uh, Action wise. I mean, he's done a ton of great ones, but this one is right up there, like tied for first just because, you know, he is the fight choreographer. I love in the credits. It says all fights choreographed by Richard Norton, not fight coordinator, not martial arts coordinator, all fights. All fights. Choreographed. And then the assistant fight choreographer is Ron Vreken, who we'll talk about later, who we've talked yes. about many a times. Uh, but, yeah, it's just his his performance in it is so good. His acting is so good. He has such wide range. You know, he has to do a ton of, like, comedy. Uh, mm-hmm. He has to do, because, quite frankly, the we should talk about the premise of the film. Really, at its heart, this is a, a comedy of errors type film, mm-hmm. but it's like a dark action comedy of errors it's Mm -hmm. it does the brilliant job of like this is you know 20 years before the raid almost of the single setting 
You know, so it's set all in a nightclub, the entire thing. There's like a couple random cutaway shots of his wife at home. But aside from that, it's all set in this club and the alleys outside. So the basic premise is Richard Norton plays an ex-hockey player, like hockey champion player uh, named Frank Torrance, who uh, in order to save kind of one of his teammates from uh, going to jail. Like pretty much, I think it has to do with point shaving or something like that. They go to a a trial and uh, he won't testify against his teammate. So he actually, and it's very corrupt. The detectives behind this case are all, you know, corrupt and they're, uh, it's, it's pretty much, he ends up taking the fall. Uh, and he's sent to prison for a year, you know, ends his career. And uh, when he eventually opens up this nightclub based off his merits of being this former champion hockey player. And, you know, it's everything's a disaster at this point. So pretty much he's trying to get out. He little does he know he takes out a loan to try to fix the club in order to sell it. But he ends up taking a loan out from the Italian mob that he doesn't know about. He's forced to become like a uh, drug runner for them, like out of his club, like they're dealing out of his club. Now he still is that corrupt detective trying to put him away for good just because the dude seems to hate him and it's his goal in life. Uh, And he's also trying to sell the club to a Chinese businessman uh, named Lin Pao, uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure they actually ever uh, clarify if he's Chinese, but uh, he's trying to sell the club to him and fib the books to make the club look like it's worth more than it really is. He's trying to, at the same time, not only sell the club for more than it's worth and fi- uh, fake his books, he's also trying to hold on to drug money from the Carabelli crime family yes. and wow. while and he's while selling the club and uh, he has... Pretty much he's trying to do all this and get out before anybody finds out and flee to Mexico. Right. And he's he's so he's also trying not to become not to be the drug mule. So anytime the 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 triad show up to uh, to sell him, he the movie opens with this scene where he says, it's good. We were expecting great. (laughs) And then we're not selling door to door, Frank. But uh, so he the deals keep going bad. He keeps uh, procrastinating the sale. Because he's so supposed he to be uh, obviously buying the heroin from the triads, the Chinese triads for the Italian mob. He's supposed he's to be like refused, the middleman. He's, he's refusing to. He's refusing to do that, and he's just keeping uh, keeping the money uh, from from the Carabellis. And then, of course, he has uh, uh, the guy who uh, he backed. Long story short, every. Someone inside might be out to get him. People yes, he on the has outside it. are out to get him. It's it's sort of like winners and sinners, where everybody's out to get the cleaning crew. It's sort of like uh, true romance, where the people. It just there's there's, there's a all, pressure cooker, and it's all taking place tonight. Yeah, in one night because he's trying to finish the renovations of the club. Also, by that night, that way he can sell the club. To the businessman, fibbing the books to make it look like it's worth more than it really is. Get that money. Keep the drug money from the Italian mob before they find out that he's been uh, rejecting the triads and their drugs. And then flee with his wife to Mexico and and all in one night. And by the way, uh, his wife is not happy. Nope. And... uh Let's see. Is there anyone else who's out to get him? Oh, the airline messed up his ticket. Oh, the, the airlines, <laughs> airlines uh, attendant on the phone is not happy with him. So that, that's why when we say Every, comedy, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of great 
comic beats in it, but it is by no mean lighthearted comedy. It's more so, uh, it's like a lethal weapon style, like action, like action comedy, right? So uh, it's, he does a fantastic performance, but he also has so many dramatic moments, right? And like yes. real, uh, you know, we, we get some, uh, the one like friend and ally he has is played by Kathy Long. Uh, and she plays uh, Lisa Cruz, another detective, the only detective that was on his side in that initial trial that was corrupt and he got framed pretty much. So she's his one ally and she knows that there's some shady stuff going down. She knows that the crooked detective, uh, Detective Dexter, played by Robert <laughs> Bruce, is up to something. So she shows up pretty much just trying to back him up, you know, uh, because she's his only friend. You know, it's. Here's the thing. I, I I haven't overwatched this film. Right. There's some films I've overwatched. But what's so special about this film is when you watch it, like when you're on your third viewing and fourth viewing, uh, which some might say is overwatching. It's not. Uh, you start to know the lines. And I haven't seen this film in maybe eight years from start to finish, maybe 10 years start to finish. And what was great is the lines were coming back. It's the delivery. It's the, it's the comedic timing. It's the comedic pause. And I mean, there, there's so many great characters, so many. And at one point, I know we're going to start to talk about the different fights and the different styles that are unveiled in this film. Uh, but I just, I think we actually once ta- spoke about like one of my favorite fight sequences is when the guy, uh, Tom Oakley comes in for a job with Frank Torrance. And yes. then he's like, you want to try that on me? And then he's like, you're going to have to do better than that if you want to be a uh, work at my club. And he's just all the... It's a bunch of quick edits, like yeah. quick jump cuts of kind of martial arts display stuff, which at the time was his Zendokai complexes. That Because yes. I remember seeing the instructional yes. video. So because for people that forget, Richard Norton... Uh, not only being a lifelong martial artist, uh, fantastic Gojo-ru karate practitioner, uh, kickboxer who trained uh, under our sensei, Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham and Benny the Jet. Also a high, high level Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. He has his own affiliate schools in Australia. He's like a fifth degree under the Machados. He was a professional bodyguard. That's what he started off doing for the likes of James Taylor, ABBA, the Rolling Stones. So he has a lifelong career of actually like functionally using martial arts and stuff. So that's a great little segment he has right there. And before... I let slip away. We're talking about all these different plot elements and it may seem like a lot, right? And everyone's like, well, it's overwhelming. Let's just say it all blends together beautifully. A lesser film, especially a straight to video, they, there would be so many plot holes. There would be so many, uh, you know, elements that they just forget about or, you know, that's like, wait, what happened to that guy? No, it all comes together beautifully and they, they intertwine everything like perfectly. So much better than a typical film of this you know, level like a straight to video film would do. It, it's just, it, it keeps you uh, intrigued the entire time. And the setting, even though it's just the nightclub, there's enough variation where they bounce around from his office to the front, to the alley, that you never feel like it's in a sense claustrophobic or like, oh, I need to get out of here. Or, you know, it, it, it never gets boring. It's constantly on the move. And we're not even talking about the action yet. We're just talking about the pacing of the story itself. Yes. And, 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 and one of my favorite locations in this film is the storage room. Yes, yes. And you know what the funny part is? So the name of the club is the Boiler Room, right? Uh, 
The Boilermaker. The Boilermaker, thank you. Uh, which was the, the name of his hockey team that he played on. So, like, I, they could have easily used boiling in the title, right? But at the yes. same time, I think under the gun is great because, really, he is under the gun, right? He's under a timeline where he's got to have all this, you know, come together perfectly by a certain point and get out of there alive, which, as the movie progresses, you realize... Uh, like at the beginning, I think, oh, he's got a pretty good plan. I, I can see this coming together. But no, every little thing starts to go wrong. And he's got to roll with the punches in a sense, right? As you said, it's like he finds out, wait a minute, one of the people, one of the people he trusts may be uh, betraying him, but he doesn't know who it is. And suddenly all these new outside players that, you know, for example, a comical one we have is a, a pimp that is renting a girl out him out to him to keep uh, Mr. Lin Powell occupied. Uh, and eventually he just kicks the pimp out and pays the girl directly, but the pimp and, keeps and coming girl, back. <laughs> do we know the actress who plays the... Her name was Judy something I, I uh, saw in there. Was it... Is it Judy, his wife? I don't think so. Oh, let me, I'm going to check the... Okay. I'm going to check. Let's see. IMDb. Dude. Dude. Yes, Judy Green. That is, oh, it is Judy, his wife. Yes. Whoa. And I've met her plenty of times. I'd even wow. Yeah, well, I think she. I think they had fun doing that because you know she put on a wig and they just had you know. They, oh, well, there we go. So play. she's great and, in it too because it's, it's a great comedic part that she plays. Yeah, and the the so like the pimp keeps coming back with new henchmen trying to you know, take care of Richard Norton. So that's a great setup for a bunch of fight scenes. But yes, the storage room, as you mentioned, gives us uh, a fantastic fight sequence. So yeah, we, we some of the best lines. As oh, well. yeah. Some great one liners and some great setups for the fight, too. So pretty much we've gone over the plot. We've gone over most of the key players. There's maybe some we've left out. But all you need to know is that it's a fantastic, as I said, kind of comedy of errors with all these different people trying to take out this same poor son of a gun uh, and him just trying to survive till the end of the night, trying to make it to the finish line and get the heck out of there. Uh, I, think, I think that is literally one of the lines from the film. What is? Like trying to get to the finish oh, line. Oh, yeah. And so now... We'll say this. There are, I didn't, I didn't even keep count because there are plenty of fight scenes. It's not like one of those movies like, well, maybe if there was one more fight scene. You know, and we've said that about films we really like. No, there's yeah. plenty of there, great there, martial arts sequences in here. We have short little ones like you mentioned, uh, the little Zendokai demonstration. But then there's a lot of full-fledged, one-on-one, great, hard-hitting fight sequences. Short, short and sweet, medium, multiple assailants, one-on-one, two-on-ones. Uh, changing who the who the protagonist is in two on ones, uh, two on twos. It's every every kind of uh, makeup you can think of for uh, for for fight sequences. At least at least eight fight sequences, my guess. And what I also love is like the one with Ron Vreekin. There's that fight sequence. Yes, and then they fight again later in the film. Yes, so you know it's it's it. Characters don't just disappear. And Ron Regan, we talked about on uh, maybe two episodes. Was it two episodes ago? Yes, when I did my comfort uh, films one, because how much I love the fight sequence between Ron Regan and Richard Norton in uh, Rage, a.k.a. Death Fight. Uh, and so this would have been their third and final time fighting on screen because they also fought in Rage and Honor 2. Uh, 
but they have a great fight sequence. Once again, this is Ron Vreekin, who is the assistant mm-hmm. fight choreographer on this film. If uh, a Kyokushin karate practitioner by trade, if I'm not mistaken, I believe. Obviously, he's not native Australian, but I think at that point, that's where he was because he has like a Dutch accent. I think he's from Holland. Uh, I could be mistaken, but they have, once again, another fantastic fight sequence. And he looks different this time around. He's got like a shaved head. And it's also, he gets to shine a little bit as an actor because they yes. have a great back and forth. It's one of the comical ones where Richard Norton, it's almost like poking fun at action movies where he's pretty much telling him like, hey, come on, you can't come at me like that. You have to say like, you know, a cheesy line and, you know, threaten yeah. me. And so Ron Breakin gets- this, What's yeah. with this Mr. Torrance? Call me Frank. You know, like yeah. the, it just- it's, it actually deconstructs uh, so many of the so many films, and you can say what, one thing about the fight sequences and the writing is it, it feels like this film or this straight to video movie is coming from a master who's mastered everything and is, has put it together in one film for us. I mean, just it's just fantastic. And then you know later on in the in the storage room, there's the you seem to have a problem. You treat all your customers this way. He crumples up a piece of paper. If I make this shot, we let bygones be bygones. If I miss, I do what I do best. I, I, you know, I kick your ass. And then he just drops the paper. Doesn't even try to make the shot. Whoops, I missed. And then he gets thrown through a door. Yep. And do you know who it is that throws him through that door? Yes, uh, but you know his name better than I. Sure. One of my all-time favorite fighters, the uh, Australian-Italian legend, straight-up legend, Mm -hmm slamming Sam Greco. Yep. So he Dave, he plays, he plays Dave, the stealth bomba. Yeah. The and bomber. The, I don't remember them ever saying his name. So they no, just they gave him a name in the credits. So this would have been very early on in Sam Greco's uh, career. So, Long story short, Sam Greco is a legend in Kyokushin Karate. He was a multi-time Australian champ. I believe he won, not in Kyokushin, but one of the other full contact branches that uh, mm-hmm. I think started after Masayama's passing. He won the world championship in that. Maybe it's like the Sato Khan something, something. So he was a multi-time Australian full contact karate champion, a world full contact. And we're talking not American kickboxing. We're talking about like uh, bare knuckle karate champion. Yes. Then he transitioned to kickboxing. So by this point, he had already won... Uh, a world title in Muay Thai and he was already a regional champion and in his early fights especially like his early kickboxing ones which you can watch some of them online oh my god first of all chiseled out of stone the dude is just jacked for a guy his size but also he's so agile I think maybe because of the Kyokushin background but so at this point he had already won a world title in Muay Thai and this was so this is 1995 this was the first year he started fighting in K1 because he'd eventually become a K1 legend he was maybe so he would maybe be the best guy that never won the K1 world title. Like, but he I think fought. That's, that's more than fair to yeah, say. Yeah, he fought all the greats. He fought Andy. He fought Ernesto. You know, he fought uh, Mike Bernardo. It was a great fight that he had. He fought uh, Peter Ertz, I'm 99% sure. But uh, yeah, so this was early on in his career still. And so he is. You know, a great treat to see in there because he's an enforcer that once again is trying to take out Richard Norton and it's just so much bigger and more powerful than him that, you know, Richard Norton has to get very creative when fighting him and even gets to use some Brazilian jiu-jitsu on him. And Sam Greco would eventually go on to fight professional MMA and have a very respectable record of, I think, like three one and one. Uh, It was a very short career, but the only loss he had was to Lyoto Machida, the legend. So uh, that's my spiel on Sam Greco, one of my favorite uh, heavyweight kickboxers. It's such a creative uh, fight that they have. I mean, it's, you know, Richard Dorn's at least six feet. 
I'm not mistaken, somewhere somewhere right in that pocket. And Sam Greco is probably about six four, five six, somewhere in there. What? You, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you. Yeah. Said, in my head, I heard five six, oh, no. and I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> yeah, no. He, I mean, he's no, tall. Yeah, he's a big. So it, it, we we have we have a variety of different uh, fighters, uh, sizes, and looks that. Richard Norton takes on this film and each with each one, he has a different uh, style that he has to unveil, get Ed. But with uh, the Sam Greco fight, he is, they get so creative. I think that's the fight where they have, he has like the wraparound kick. Do you know which one I mean? Where I think, was that against Ron? Where they, they've just busted out of the, uh-huh. the storeroom. Uh-huh. And at one point he wraps around and hits him from. Oh, uh, I think. Ooh, I do know which one you're talking about because I remember seeing that and thinking, "Oh, that was a nice little beat." I can't remember which one it was, though. Yeah, it just, it, but, and that, but I mean that it just the the whole fight sequences blend together. And then I think what Richard Norton does is he has such respect for for these individuals and their their careers outside of the film. You know, he has he beats them through. I would I would almost say like Jackie Chan methods using props, uh, like he does with the uh, with Ron, uh, with Sam Greco. So it's 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 respectful to their professional careers as well. Oh yeah. Uh, I I mean, it's hard for me to say what my favorite fight sequence is in this film, but there is one that is extremely extremely well executed with the camera work, and I think we're we're eventually going to get to that in the time frame of this film. Well, let's talk about it. Which one is it? Well, for me, it's the one against the, his new accountant. Yeah. Wow. So, and for people uh, that don't know, so uh, pretty much once again, another thing that goes wrong is him trying to sell it to Mr. Lin Pao. Ends up, they knew the whole time he was trying to fake it. And the accountant for Lin Pao, played by uh, Tino uh, Cerebrano, uh, is a martial arts expert. Now, Tino Cerebrano, Filipino-Hawaiian uh, Gojo-Ru expert, is actually Richard Norton's real-life first instructor in Gojo-Ru. Yes. And so it's great to see him here because he's – I can only imagine that he, he – and I'm not sure if he's still alive. I believe he is. He, I think he's only like five or six years older than Richard Norton like because he was quite young when he ended up in Australia and opened up his martial arts school. Uh, but anywho, they have a great uh, fight sequence uh, where – he gets to utilize not just uh, Gojo Ru, but some cane fighting as well. Mm-hmm. And you want to talk it's, about? It's, yeah, I mean, it's just at one point there. You know, we were talking about the the complexes. Like this, this actually has some black belt complexes. So if you Googled uh, Richard Norton and looked up his uh, the the video that he released, uh, probably in the in the mid to late nineties, the the one where he's in the the red gi. Yes. Yeah, I think it was the early 2000s. Early was it that late? So I mean, it's just yes. So, and so what what you have in this in this fight sequence is the club is essentially almost completely disheveled by two police raids at this point. You have uh, Lau facing off with Richard Norton or Frank Torrance, and there's paper everywhere. There's paper scattered. There go the papers like you know going through the air at some points. They're using cane fighting. Then they're using a knife fight. Uh, but it's just the way that they're interacting. It's just two great masters on film with a fantastic cinematographer and obviously fight coordinator Richard Nord, where they're, where they're breaking the camera around from one side of the fight to the other. It almost feels like, uh, like a samurai film and harkens back to, uh, the fight sequences that Richard did with, uh, Sammo Hung. Just amazing camera work that is, it's the, it puts the audience as close as possible. It's not, it's 
polar opposite of what we discussed when we were watching an eye for an eye in in last week's episode where they're cutting all at the wrong places the camera work is not capturing the full like the full greatness of what was being showcased on film and what we got with this sequence is some of the best camera work i think in a straight to video film if not an american film this far outshines anything you see in taken far outshines anything you see in the born uh born films in my opinion i know that i know a lot of people love those films but the way these fight sequences are shot particularly this last one it's just uh I don't know. It's a masterclass. It's an absolute masterclass. I agree. And obviously that comes from Richard Norton, his experience uh, in Hong Kong and American films. And what he brings is maybe the best combination of the Hong Kong and American style ever in the sense of now there's been, there was a ton of American movies that brought on Hong Kong crews and just did Hong Kong style fight scenes, which were great. You know, we've talked about like no retreat, no surrender three. We love that. This is like the best blending of the two. He shot it like a hard hitting American fight movie and with those like great sound effects like I call the Indiana Jones style sound effects really hard hitting ones but with choreography and beats of Hong Kong martial arts cinema but without trying to replicate that it's it's almost like we've talked about this kind of how martial law uh, the film is like one of the closest things to if Roadhouse had just been a straight martial arts movie with martial artists this takes it to that next level where yes this is really uh, kind of the the greater example of that in terms of the fight scenes. Now, as we mentioned, it's shot on video, so that kind of you know takes slightly a little bit away in the sense of production value and being compared to Roadhouse. But fight scene wise, it's brilliant because also it's all real martial artists doing the fight scene, uh, uh, the fight scenes and the action, the hand to hand stuff. Because you've got Richard Norton, you got guys like Ron Vreekin, you've got uh, stuntman David No, who probably mm-hmm. a lot of people recognize from Mister Nice Guy. Uh, an Australian Taekwondo uh, gentleman. And then uh, obviously you've got, as we mentioned, uh, Sam Greco in there. And then you've got the amazing Kathy Long. And it just goes to show... Her fight sequences are so much fun. And I actually think the best I've ever seen her on film Hands down, period. Get out of my brain. Get out of my head because I was about to say that. The exact same thing I was going to say. She's never looked better on screen. And it's such a shame she didn't get more of a chance to uh, work in martial arts cinema and have someone like, say, Richard Norton. So here we go. It's like Richard Norton having worked with Samo. Samo, who many people have talked about. We've talked about how uh, he always makes the actors he's working with look their best. That rubbed off on Richard Norton. And what we get also from Richard Norton's experience in Hong Kong cinema is he got to work directly under Samo multiple times. And he also had the – he's one of the few that also got to work just directly under Jackie, under a Jackie picture in – uh, City Hunter. So he has all these different styles. And what he shows is that he learned from these masters of their craft. And he's able to do the same thing. He's able to make all these other martial artists look so good. And he's not playing like a Steven Seagal, invincible, you know, nobody can touch me. He gets his butt kicked a lot throughout the movie. He gets knocked out. He gets thrown around. But what he does also, Kathy Long looks the best she's ever looked. So hard hitting. Uh, you know, her kicks, her punches, her knees. And it, it's believable. First of all, it's believable for me because I've trained with her. And as I always mm-hmm. joke, uh, 
Her and our sensei, Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham, have the two hardest knuckles I've ever felt in my entire life. That and she has the hardest ball of the foot I've ever felt. Uh, so I believe everything when watching. I'm like, yeah, she could kick that dude's butt without a doubt. But the fights yeah. also make it seem realistic. She's taking on bigger guys. But when you see like the power she generates uh, and obviously there's a few little beats where you could tell she's holding back kicks. That's probably for the sake of. I can attest to how hard she can kick. And this was, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're talking about like four or five years ago. Uh, and this was, you know, 1995 when she was like still in her prime. She probably had to hold back uh, when hitting some of the stuntmen, uh, especially at those angles, right? Like sidekick angles. But for the most part, you get to see her cut loose and it all looks real. Like it's not a, okay, you know, it's unfortunately, sometimes that's what happens when you have maybe like a, a female stunt performer. It's like, oh, it, this guy's so much bigger and more powerful. It doesn't look realistic. No, you, Kathy Long kicks some major butt and it's the best she ever looked on screen. Well, I, I, I can't agree with you more. It's uh, this film in many ways is could be a resume for any of the any of the performers. Matthew George, the writer, director, any of the on screen talent could have used this film to say, hey, look what I can do and just get cast in something else. But the fact that it all came together where it's not a, a calling card, but a, a standalone perfect film and yes it is shot on video i think my my i had a teacher in high school who wrote me a letter once because i was shooting a lot of things in video uh and and in his letter he wrote essentially i think he, he was quoting someone I'm, I'm so i'm quoting i'm paraphrasing a quote of a quote where he said whether you're writing with a pencil or a pen it's still writing nice. now you and i both have an affinity for film. This is one of the reasons we love to go to the New Beverly Cinema. And we love to watch films on film. It they feel different yes. and they are different. However, if you're going to put if if any of our listeners are going to maybe stick their nose up to to this film and turn away and not not play it because at first look they can tell it's shot on beta or video, I would just say, you know what, this is this is where you. You suspend your disbelief all the time when you're watching films, whether it's a big film, a Marvel universe with all the CGI, whatever you're watching. This is one of those times where you just just jump into it and get allow yourself to be taken away on this great ride of great fights, great acting and great lines. Most definitely. And. So we, we've talked about all these fantastic fight sequences. They're they're funny. They're hard hitting. Uh, there's, you know more dramatic ones there's more serious ones there's especially towards the end the film takes like a dark turn at some point you're like holy crap they kill off characters you don't expect them to kill off so what it all leads to is an amazing mexican standoff at the end where everything gets brought together every single antagonistic uh element of the film all these people trying to take him out they all end up surrounding him and they're unrelated they don't know each other it's not like they've teamed up it's just coincidence but it, the timing is brilliant because it's so it makes sense they all show up at one time and you see yeah, of course poor uh uh frank torrance there like oh crap but then it's like they, it becomes this mexican standoff where after one person accidentally shoots they all end up taking each other out so it's this great finale it's more of a shoot 'em up but it's got some cool little they tried with hong kong beats obviously mm -hmm. it doesn't stand up to the same level as the fight scenes do where you could take these fight scenes and compare them to any sort of hollywood production and be like 
just as good, if not better, most time better, especially at that time, way better. But the shoot 'em up scenes are still great. I love them. They, you know, obviously maybe not up to the standard of like a John Woo picture, which you could tell they were trying to kind of emulate, but they still do a great job. And there's some great little beats in there of like creativity in the way they shoot the guns and people getting Absolutely. shot and killed. And, you know, spoiler alert, pretty much all the bad guys end up killing each other and or, you know, Richard Norton's character, Frank, kills off the other ones. The good guys come out on top and yeah, things didn't work out the way he wanted, but maybe they worked out the way that was best for him and his wife. Right. And you know what's funny, though, as as much as like all the bad guys are killing all the bad guys and Richard Norton has to protect himself in a few instances, we have a return to Rage and Honor 2 hostile takeover ending here where ah. Richard Norton has the opportunity at the end of Rage and Honor 2 to kill Pat, uh, Matt, Patrick Muldoon just as he has the opportunity to kill uh, Dexter, Detective Dexter. And he steps away from it. And of course, it's just also like a flashpoint with uh, Donnie Yen, where oh. we kind of show where we get to see the protagonist at the end making the right choice, the choice, the, or at least in this instance, sort of the, the Bushido choice. You've won, you're stepping away, and you're not going to be the one to take the life of this person, even though they wronged you. And you've seen that in some Chuck Norris films as well. And you've seen that in a lot of like, Film, martial art films that are a little more martial arts centric and not so much uh, uh, action stars, action star centric. I mean, I, I I think I told you like this past week. I also just watched the film Yojimbo, yes. and at the end of the film, there's one like hired hand still still uh, still standing, and Mifunet tells this uh, you know this young young samurai wannabe. Uh, Ronan wannabe to go home and just eat gruel the rest of his life because that's a better life than than living the life he's lived. So there's an element of that. So even at the very end, there is this Bushido humanity that emerges. There's like that opportunity to to teach a lesson to the audience that you don't always have to just take the life. Yep. And so once again, this film has depth that you wouldn't expect. It's got fight sequences that rival some of the best of that era. It's got great performances all around. It's got Richard Norton's best performance uh, in terms of his acting. And it's just so good. It's so good. And the, the funny part is I finished rewatching the end again this morning. And I said to myself, you know what? I would love to see a remake of this movie because it's one of those ones where it was brilliant the first time, could stand alone. But imagine if I, I would want Richard Norton, though, to direct it and yes. to be like the, the main driving force behind the camera and see what could be done with this movie with a slightly bigger budget shot on Absolutely. film, updated to like current times. And it would be a fun one to see a new interpretation of it. Not that it needs it. But if Richard Norton got the chance to do it again with a bigger budget, you know, and this time he's just the creative force behind the camera, uh, I would love to see what he could do with it again. Like, I, I would, I would love that. I mean, you know, at the end, he and his wife decide to keep the boilermaker. So imagine if he's uh, willed the boilermaker or given the boilermaker to his son. Oh, or so you're talking about a sequel? Why not a sequel? Uh, there we go. That would be brilliant too. No, 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 not if it's a sequel, it's got to be him. He's got to come back. I'd love to see old man Torrance, right? Because the thing is, Richard <laughs> Norton is still in phenomenal shape. Every time you see this guy, you can't believe he's as old as he is. Like, I just don't believe it. He and he just is so active. He still does all the martial arts stuff. He's still constantly teaching uh, jiu-jitsu seminars. He's still doing stunt work. 
uh, and he's just always so full of life when you when you see him. You know, yeah. I remember one, a couple years back, like uh, one of the the first times I had. The first time I saw him as an adult, so it was more than a couple years back, it was 2016. It was my first time seeing him in person again since meeting him as a kid. I was just so, even as a a grown ass man, now I can handle myself a lot better after years of LA and, you know, running into these people. But Richard Norton was one of the first guys that I saw when I moved back again. And I'm just so nervous. And as we're talking, he's literally just doing like collie knife drills on me, just like kind of shadow boxing around me as I'm talking and he's talking, like just staying active, like kind of poking me, like boop, boop, boop. And I was uh-huh. just like, oh my God, this is so awesome. But yeah, I would, I would love to see him do, you know, but the thing is he also doesn't need to do anymore. He's, he doesn't. He's yeah. proven himself as an actor. I'd like to, I love how he's doing more acting stuff now. I shouldn't say more, but he did uh, an independent picture recently. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's uh, working a lot with uh, George Miller, you know, doing the, uh, yes, the, the-, the new Mad Max films. But I would love to see him. So maybe that would be the picture we need. A sequel that's also directed by him. You know, they can, uh, Old Man Torrance. Absolutely. I mean, I, in many ways, I, I feel like Under the Gun is a, is his love letter uh, to the straight-to-video genre that he was so integral, uh, integral part of, a pillar of. And after that, he seemed to kind of move back into like major roles, Hollywood roles. I will say, watching all the fight sequences in this film, shot in 1995, and then seeing Mr. Nice Guy released in 1997, it still bothers the living daylights out of me that we did not have a final fight sequence between Jackie Chan and Richard Norton. We know it was because of budgetary yep. reasons and the, the film shoot was over, so it was over. But to have... To have that fight sequence, one more fight sequence, Jackie Chan, Richard Norton, directed by Sam Hung. Wow, that would have been fantastic. Well, maybe that's what we need in the sequel then, too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Jackie Bring comes it. back as Lin Pao's brother. Or no, not not Lin Pao, maybe. The uh, the accountant's like Lao. Lao's cousin or something, right? Uh, oh, that would be good. That would be good. But okay, we need to start right. wrapping things up. So uh, any final closing thoughts on this amazing picture? Listen, it's it it hit it hit in my timeline of my life at the perfect time. It it is uh, the gold standard slash platinum standard for me. Uh, if you haven't watched it, I really encourage you to watch it. And if you agree, share some love for the film. And if you don't agree, reach out. Let us know because we would. Uh, I think we would love to debate you on that because it's this. This is a perfect time capsule piece uh, that is just like like I said, a love letter, and. Just a love letter done by a master. Couldn't put it better myself. Definitely get a hold of this movie, as I mentioned, because I forgot the last few movies we haven't said where you can watch them. And I know your mom's always uh, a big stickler on that one. So (laughs) this film I purchased through Amazon Prime. I believe you can rent it on there or purchase it still. You can also get it on uh, Tubi. Tubi oh, right now. Oh, it's on Tubi? It is on Tubi. There you go, folks. Right there. Tubi. Free to stream. Great app. Watch it on there. So, final bit for this episode. Did you bring anything for our language corner? I can try to fun- come up well, with something real how about, fast. How about you, you teach us how to say Bushido in Japanese? <laughs> okay. Are you ready? <laughs> Bushido. I'm just messing. Okay. I, I brought a word, just a real basic Thank one. Goodness. Yeah. So uh, pretty much this, this film set in a nightclub slash bar slash club. Now, uh, I'm just going to teach the word for bar because when I was living in China, that's all we'd ever say. It was never like, let's go to the club. It would be like you'd say the club's name. So the easy just word to say for bar is Jiu Ba. Jiu 
Yep. So Joe is in like Joe is alcohol. So like anytime it's a type of alcohol, you know, it could be uh Joe, like the white, you know, liquor, which is famous in China. It's like their hard alcohol. It could be Pijo, which is beer. But so Joe, so Joe, the third tone, Joe, and then Ba. Yeah, so I think it's just uh, uh, exactly. Yep. So first tone on, tone on that last one, and ba might be a loan word or a borrow one, or just because it sounds like bar, you know. And I'm I'm 99 sure that's why. But anyways, yeah, jiu ba, jiu ba. Yep. There you go. So that's bar. That's our uh, language corner for the week. Uh, so yeah, 我要去酒吧. I want to go to the bar. 很好，我们去酒吧. Oh wow! See, you're learning. Whoa! Thanks to this podcast, you can learn too. Yeah. <laughs> Subscribe. Forget. Download. <laughs> follow. Excellent. Yeah. So uh, awesome! Great episode, my friend. We're I'm bringing all of my stuff with me uh, on my Thanksgiving trip. So hey, we're trying not to. It, it, normally in the past, like a weekend like this that was so chaotic and we couldn't record, we would have just had to skip. But we're really making the effort, no matter what, to get episodes in there. Absolutely. And hopefully we can actually record two times, uh, maybe during the break, if you have a couple days off, because, you know, the next weekend will be Comic-Con and we won't be able to record and get something out that weekend. So we'll definitely try to stick with our weekly schedule. Sounds good to me. Okay, my man. We will be uh, chatting soon. Otherwise, have a great rest of your Sunday. You too. Give my best to Jessica and I'll uh, see you in a couple days. Well, I guess I'll see you in a couple weeks, but I'll see you via camera in a couple days. Via camera in a couple days. All right. Adios, amigo. Take care.